It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Thursday, May 5th, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Sitkins gathered in front of the local courthouse Tuesday to demonstrate in support of reproductive rights. After a leaked draft, Supreme Court opinion suggested that a majority of the court will support overturning Roe v. Wade, the 1973 case that legalized abortion nationwide. Satara Perez was one of the organizers leading Sitka's demonstration, which was happening in tandem on courthouse steps across the country. She said she wasn't surprised by the decision in the draft opinion, written by Justice Samuel Alito. We've known for a long time that that that's where this was heading, but um, the fact that it came so far in advance of the ruling that that it's based on, which is the Missouri abortion ban, that that was interesting. Perez said that people with means are always going to have access to abortion. The ones that are going to suffer are people who are economically disadvantaged, um, people of color, especially young people with uteruses. For me, that's the thing that is most important, is figuring out how to be helpful here on the ground, um, especially because it has such limited options as far as accessing abortion care is concerned. She held a sign that said, they aren't going to stop with Roe v. Wade. She worries that the Supreme Court decision could go beyond abortion, putting other rights at risk. I think that the end game of this Supreme Court is not to end the right to abortion. I think it's to systematically dismantle all of our rights, especially the ones that they feel certain portions of the population aren't entitled to. The group discussed abortion rights and resources in Alaska, like where to get an abortion, where to donate money, and what the ruling could mean for the state. Abortion is legal in Alaska and protected by the Alaska state constitution, even if Roe v. Wade falls. But some organizers voiced concerns about a current push to change the state's constitution, initially fueled by tensions over the permanent fund dividend. This November, Alaskans will vote on whether they want to hold a constitutional convention next year. Organizers worry that if Alaskans vote to hold a convention, a strong push by abortion opponents to remove privacy protections in the state constitution is on the horizon. Advocates for reproductive health, like Perez, have been here before. I was just telling my young friend that the first time that I ever almost, the only time I ever almost got arrested was at a choice coalition. And I was younger than she is now. So I've been doing this for a very long time at this point. Um, And it's the thing that just keeps coming back, right? Keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And ultimately, I firmly believe that reproductive rights are, they're the gate between us and control that other people have over our bodies. And I think that we have to defend it really staunchly. After about half an hour discussion in front of the courthouse, Perez and the group of around 20 demonstrators walked to Sitka's roundabout to wave at passing cars on their commute home, signs and umbrellas in hand. Overdose deaths increased more than 70% in Alaska last year. The state's health department says that's because of the highly toxic synthetic opioid fentanyl. It's been found mixed with heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine. In a press conference Tuesday, Governor Mike Dunleavy said the problem is only intensifying. The state's drug task force seized twice as much fentanyl in the last three months than they did in all of last year. It's incredibly deadly. I repeat, it's incredibly deadly in incredibly small doses. Parents, their kids, and all Alaskans must understand this poison, and that's what it is, is in our state in many different forms. 
He said he will work with the state legislature to increase the punishment for drug trafficking. Dr. Tom Quimby directs the emergency department at Matsu Regional Medical Center, a region hard hit by overdoses. Uh, what I see happening every day in our emergency department is that this problem knows no bounds. It crosses all levels of our society. Um, I see people in all socioeconomic classes, all ages, all religions, all races, living in all geographic uh, regions, in all political parties, who are affected by this. Nearly 250 Alaskans died of drug overdoses last year. Six of every 10 drug overdoses in Alaska involved fentanyl. KRBD's Eric Stone has this story on why federal forest conservation policies, like the roadless rule, fall short of preserving the Tongass. I'm riding with Nocatee Bay resident Mark Figelski in his compact SUV on some of the logging roads that crisscross Prince of Wales Island. He's giving me a tour and foraging for mushrooms. Here, look at all that bear sand over there. Holy moly, you see it? We're in the middle of an immense swath of land that was until recently home to trees hundreds of years old. It's an old growth forest here on Prince of Wales Island that was recently reduced to stumps. That's the only good thing about these dead and dying trees that has made the population of mushrooms go crazy. I mean, look at that right yeah. there. It's not the only good thing, Figelski tells me. For one thing, without logging, we wouldn't be driving on the road we're currently on. But Figelski explains that the vast scale of these recent cuts just north of his home in Nocatee has him concerned. He tells me he relies on the land to feed his family. Deer, berries, mushrooms, the salmon that reproduce in streams that run through clear-cut, and halibut that often feed near river mouths. The nearest supermarkets are in Cloak and Thorn Bay. They're some 40-odd miles away. So, the subsistence life is all we have, really. That's why this is really so important. Since President Joe Biden took office, federal authorities have trumpeted a number of policy changes aimed at preserving old-growth forests, including in the Tongass. Perhaps the initiative with the biggest impact on southeast Alaska is an effort to reinstate the national roadless rule. It limits logging in more than half of the 17 million acres of the Tongass National Forest. Advocates say protections like the roadless rule are essential to maintaining both subsistence food sources for people who live in the rainforest and fighting climate change. Scientists say it's among the most carbon-dense forests in the world. Figelski says he was heartened by news of the Biden administration's efforts to restrict logging. I was so excited when I heard about the roadless rule thing, and I thought, oh, for sure now we're going to get, they're going to cut this off. But logging did not stop. If anything, it's accelerated. That's because the roadless rule only protects land within the Forest Service's jurisdiction. And the land we're on was transferred from the Forest Service to the Alaska Mental Health Trust as part of a 2017 land swap. The organization has contracted with logging companies to clear-cut much of the land it was granted. And according to satellite data reviewed by Earthrise Media and Grist, some 43% of forest lost in the Tongass region between 2015 and 2020 happened on land that has been transferred out of federal management. The executive director of the Trust Land Office, Justy Warner, says the organization's goal is to make money from the land to maximize revenue for its programs. The Trust grants more than $20 million a year to partner organizations that provide services and supports to Alaskans with developmental disabilities and behavioral health conditions. But Figelski wants people to know that splashy federal policy initiatives often don't tell the whole story. What a victory everybody was celebrating about the roadless rule coming back, but 
Really, it means nothing if there's a back door. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski helped engineer the land transfer to the Mental Health Trust by inserting language in a must-pass bill in 2017. She says that while the land is no longer federally protected, there are still standards the loggers must abide by. But those state standards are looser than the federal rules. State fisheries biologist Mark Manillo stands on a bridge overlooking Yaddock Creek near Nocatee. He says smaller stream buffers allowed on state lands can damage the streams that subsistence and commercial fishermen alike rely on for salmon spawning. Well, you can see this one here with this big exposed root wad. You know, you're going to get a lot of erosion off of that. Um, where the tree was standing, you can see you end up with, if this creek gets higher flows, you're probably going to get some flow through there, and it's going to erode. The Mental Health Trust's land exchange is the most recent land swap affecting the Tongass, but it's nowhere near the size or scale of the 2014 transfer of 70,000 acres to Sea Alaska. The regional native corporation logged on land across Prince of Wales Island. It was always controversial, but it allowed the group to pay dividends to Alaska native shareholders. Sea Alaska renounced commercial logging in 2021. It was a blow to the region's timber industry, but that doesn't mean more land transfers aren't being considered. In 2019, Sea Alaska invested at least $500,000 in a campaign that seeks to create five new independent Alaska Native Village corporations that would be allowed to select federal lands from the Tongass. The new corporation's shareholders would be descendants of the five village populations originally left out of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Tribal leaders on Prince of Wales Island say they're sympathetic to the landless community's situation, but they're worried that their forest lands will be targeted for their timber. Clinton Cook, president of the Craig Tribal Association, says he supports the landless tribe's efforts to right historical wrongs, but says he's concerned that it could lead to more logging on Prince of Wales Island. We necessarily think they should probably, hopefully, will look at more areas in their community to be able to obtain that land, not necessarily on Prince of Wales, where there's already a little bit of a head start. Former Sea Alaska board member Patrick Anderson says it's a thorny question without easy answers. That's because land near communities like Petersburg, Wrangell, and Ketchikan is already heavily developed and much of the nearby forest has already been logged. I think there can be a negotiated uh, end to it, but I believe that the parties need to have the opportunity to sit down and figure out what it is that a majority of the landless communities want. Anderson says he's hopeful that if the landless communities do acquire old-growth forest lands, they might consider making money by selling carbon credits and keeping the forest intact. With additional reporting by Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick, Ed Boyda of Earthrise Media, and Clayton Aldern of Grist, I'm Eric Stone in Ketchikan. This story is in collaboration between Coast Alaska, KRBD, Grist, and Earthrise Media, and was supported by the Pulitzer Center. To read the full story, go to krbd.org. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. This is